Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Got a few thumbs up. Got a little woo. And then other people are trickling in. Let's all find our seats. And we're going to get ready to worship. Yeah, maybe you, you can wait for them. Yeah. Well, why don't you guys go ahead and stand up for a second time? And we're going to worship together this morning. Um, I was thinking about what to share as we begin, but I just feel like maybe we can just pray and ask the Lord to be here with us and engage with God um, and just be surrendered. Let's all stand. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you that you are a, a good God, that you are a big God, that you are worthy of our praise. Lord, we want to see that today. We want to see how beautiful you are, how glorious you are. We want to align ourselves with the reality that you are a God that's worth worshiping. So, Lord, we ask that you would come. Holy Spirit, we invite you here into this space. We invite you to move and work. We invite you to be our counselor, our guide, our friend. We ask that you would inspire us towards a deeper love with God um, and a deeper love towards each other. Lord, I ask that this space wouldn't just be ritual, it wouldn't just be repetition, Lord, but it would be a space where you're glorified, a space where we're encountering you, we get to meet with you, Lord. So Lord, we commit this time to you, we bless you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for having me back. My name is Kayton. If, if you guys haven't met me, um, I go to a church in the, in the area as well, and I'm really happy to be here with you guys. Let's sing. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. Let's sing, see what our Savior. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things, yeah. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh, God. You have done great things. Let's sing, you've been faithful. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know, and I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. And God, you do. God, you do great things. Yeah. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. 
We dancing in your freedom, awaken alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. And hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God. Unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things. Sing hallelujah. And hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God. Unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things. Sing, oh, hero. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. You have done great things. Oh, God, you do great things. Let's sing that chorus one more time, O Hero. Oh, Hero of Heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh, God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done great things. The reign of darkness now is ended In the kingdom of light In the kingdom of light Forever under your dominion You're the king of my life You're the king of my life Sing you reign above and you reign above it all, you reign above it all, over the universe, over the universe, and over every heart, there is no iron name, Jesus, you reign, let's sing you reign one more time, and you reign above it all, you reign above it all, over the universe and over every heart, there is no iron name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let's sing on the cross the word. And on the cross the work was finished. God, you poured out your life just to give us new life. 
Now from the lips of the forgiven, hear an anthem arise. Cause Jesus, you're alive. You reign. And you reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the universe and over every heart, there is no iron name. Jesus, you reign at all of heaven. And let all of heaven and the earth erupt with song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no iron name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Let's sing you reign one more time. And you reign above it all. You reign above it all. And over the universe and over every heart, there is no higher name. Jesus, you reign in all of heaven. And let all of heaven and the earth erupt with song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Sing, you sent the darkness running. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory. Enthroned on the highest face, you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest face, you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory. Enthroned on the highest race, you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest race. And you reign above it all, you reign above it all. Over the universe and over every heart, there is no higher name. Jesus, you reign. Let's sing it, let all of heaven. And let all of heaven and the earth erupt with song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Jesus, you reign above it all. Sing that again, Jesus. Jesus, you reign above it all. Jesus, you reign above it all. Jesus, you reign above it all.
that in my attempt to turn on my mic, I actually turned off my mic, which is pretty much par for the course. How are you guys doing? I'm glad you're here. Wow, that was rousing. You guys got coffee and donuts this morning, didn't you? Nice. Hey, I just want to say thank you to Kayton again for being here. Uh, it's For me, this is a picture of what the body of Christ in Costa Mesa looks like. Again, we are not 60-some-odd churches that are in competition with one another. We're one church. Jesus is the head of all of us, and we kind of say, hey, God, what do we have, and how can we use that to bless others? And there's probably no better picture of that than what happened yesterday. And for those of you who, who may not be aware, yesterday was our fifth annual Love Costa Mesa Serve Day. Um, every year... We, it has just kind of grown and become something that is bigger and more meaningful to our city. The Love Costa Mesa Serve Day is simply a day where Christ followers from around our city join with business leaders and civic leaders to say, how can we care for our neighbors? How can we care for our city? And we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And so yesterday, we had about 80 different projects that were taking place all over the city, uh, about 1,800 people that participated and volunteered, many of you were there. I got. I, I. I learned that pastors have very, very weak hands, and so I got light, nice calluses. Those aren't calluses. That's the antithesis of callus. That is a blister. Thank you. So hopefully, I'll get calluses out of this. We'll see. Um, but it was so fun to get to be out there, to get to serve alongside many of you, and we want to hear stories of this. We're not going to do it today, um, but I would love to hear the stories of how God met you in the midst of getting to serve him. I'd love to hear some of the stories of what is happening as we have, over the last several weeks, been talking about being more intentional about living as intentional neighbors. So if you are somebody who is saying, yes, I'm in, I want to grow as an intentional neighbor, and in fact, this is something that has kind of happened out of that, I'd love for you to share that story. And you can do so either by coming and talking to myself or Pastor Jeff, tell us the story, or you can go to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com where you can either send us a picture or you can send us kind of a a real quick kind of overview of what you're seeing and how God is uh, inviting you to join him in this process. Because at the end of the day, the goal is not to, to fill this place with people. The goal is to equip you to go be the church in our community, in your spheres of influence throughout the week. I know that Love Costa Mesa Serve Day was yesterday. And for some of you who are just now hearing about it, perhaps your your thought is, well, dang, I'll have to wait until next year. But you don't have to do that. Because the reality is loving our neighbor intentionally is something we can do all throughout the year. And we are looking for ways to intentionally do that. So tomorrow night... Right across the street in the family room at 6.30 p.m., we are going to have an intentional neighboring gathering. And that's not just for us here at Lighthouse. This is going to be for people all around our city who say, you know what, I want to do this more regularly, more intentionally throughout the year. And we are going to be identifying service projects every single month that we can jump in on. We are also going to begin to brainstorm what are ways that we can support one another and do some amazing things, such as over on the west side, they have this thing called West Side Nights that's now been going for almost a year. And West Side Nights, once a month, they come together to share a meal outside and hundreds of neighbors from the west side are gathering and they are actively combating this sense of loneliness that is permeating our culture. 
And I long for something like that for the east side. But we need people who are like, hey, we're in and we want to be intentional about investing. You might have people in your spheres of influence that you recognize have a really deep need. And there might be other people who have resources to bring to bear on them. That's what this intentional neighboring gathering is all about. So if you are interested in finding out more about how you can take that heart of an intentional neighbor throughout the year, I invite you to join me tomorrow night, Monday at 6.30 in the family room as we begin to explore that. And then one other thing I want to let you know about is obviously many of us know that uh, uh, this last month Merv Gridey went home to be with Jesus, was reunited with his wife, Jean, and this next Saturday at 10.30 we get to celebrate his life. And it is a life absolutely worth celebrating. So I want to invite you to come and join us and I'm sure many other people who, whom Merv has left fingerprints on their life here in, in the sanctuary at 10.30 next Saturday to celebrate Merv's life. With that, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, because today we are going to grapple with a really important question, and that question is, well, who is my neighbor, right? Because we talked about that the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself, but who exactly is our neighbor? Is our neighbor just the person whose name we have written down on our sphere of influence card? And by the way, if you have not yet received or, or, or grabbed one of those sphere of influence cards or you have not yet filled it out, I implore you to grab that and intentionally begin to pray through who are the people that God has uniquely surrounded me with, whom God has kind of given me an open door access to their life, and then begin to say, God, how would you invite me to join you in representing you to them. So, so, but who is our neighbor? Is our neighbor just the people whose names are on that card and nobody else? Or is our neighbor the people who live within really close proximity? And, and quite honestly, is it just the, the houses that are absolutely next door? Or, or is it a little bit wider than that? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. It's not conjecture. Because somebody actually asked Jesus that question, and in Luke chapter 10, we actually come across that story. So, we're going to begin Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? So let's just pause there for a moment. We're going to get to the second part of this uh, story in just a moment. But I first want to ground this in, in kind of understanding the context of what's going on. Jesus interacted with a lot of people, but by far the, great, the most contentious interactions he had were with people who were the, the religious expert of his day. Hey, Bill, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. If we could try to cut that down, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, Jesus interacted with the religious experts of his day. That's where he had the most conflict. And here is a guy who is a religious expert. 
He has gone to school, studied the Bible, memorized most of what we would call the Old Testament. This is one of the guys whose job it is to tell all of the other common Jews what it looks like to follow God and to live a righteous life. And one of the things that the experts love to do is challenge one another and test one another. And Jesus, as this up-and-coming rabbi who's more and more people are talking about, Jesus is like the perfect target that the religious experts loved to challenge. And so as he's coming to Jesus, he's not coming with an open mind and an open heart, genuinely asking. He is looking to test Jesus. He wants to have a theological debate with Jesus. He wants to get Jesus on the record as to how he would answer this question so that he can find some fault with it and undermine Jesus' credibility in their society. So Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows this guy's heart. He knows that he's not coming with an open heart looking to learn. And so what Jesus does is what he often does, and that is he returns a question with another question. And so he just turns it right back to the guy and goes, well, how do you read scripture? What do you think it says is the most important? He goes, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, he gives almost verbatim the very same answer that Jesus had given to another person at another point. And, and this guy may have actually even overheard Jesus giving that answer, or perhaps this was simply how they understood the most important commandments that undergirded everything else. And so this guy gives this answer, and Jesus responds, you're absolutely right. You are correct. If you love God and love your neighbor as yourself, that's what it means to follow God. That's what it, that is the heart of the gospel. Well, in this day and in this age, when religious experts were having these kind of dialogues, getting affirmation from the person you're sparring with is almost unheard of. So I can imagine that this religious expert kind of puffed his chest up like, yeah, man, I answered correctly. He, he, even he has to agree that I gave the right answer. But it wasn't enough for him. Because he also wanted to justify himself in the eyes of the law. He wanted to show that he was already living up to what Jesus has affirmed is the way to ensure that you are righteous in the eyes of God. And so he asks the follow-up question, well, who exactly is my neighbor? And we have a pretty good idea of what he was looking for here because other rabbis of that day answered that question based upon concentric circles. You either, either it's Jews, which is probably the most common answer. Your neighbor is other people who are Jewish in nature. That is your neighbor. That is who you have a responsibility towards. Or perhaps, if they were a little more stringent, it was Jews who are practicing and observant of the law of Moses. So only Jews who actually intentionally keep the law of Moses only the righteous ones are deserving of your care. That's what he probably expected. And really what he's getting at when he asks, who is my neighbor, is he's asking Jesus to show, where do you draw the line? What is the boundary marker that says, it's, I am only responsible to care for the needs of these people and no more? Is it, is it just righteous Jews who are observing the law? Is it all Jews? In other words, Jesus 
Who am I actually responsible to love? And this is where Jesus responds, not with a direct answer. He doesn't draw the boundary marker for him. Instead, he shares a parable. He tells a story. And there's a a reason why Jesus taught with parables. It's because parable, uh, just a direct answer, simply engages the mind. But a parable, a story, engages the mind and the heart. It allows that individual's emotions to well up. And in so doing, it exposes what's already in there. And Jesus shares a story that, as we are going to see, would be incredibly offensive to this person that he is sharing the story with. And it's one that we're all familiar with, or I would say most of us are familiar with. This is Jesus' response to the question of who is my neighbor. In verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so, too, a Levite, the tribe that was called by God to care for the temple, a Levite came along. And when he saw the place and saw this man, he passed by on the other side as well. But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man in his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Each denarii was worth a day's wage for a day laborer. He took out two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. And then Jesus looks at the religious expert and says, Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert on the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Now go and do likewise. Now we read this, and it sounds, I mean, it's it's a story that I would say the majority of, of us have heard lots and lots of times. And even if you're not somebody who makes a regular habit of coming to church, my guess is that you've heard this story or this idea of a good Samaritan all over the place. We have good Samaritan laws to protect those who move towards hurting people. And in our culture, good Samaritans have come to have a really positive connotation. But for this religious expert and everybody else who is listening to this dialogue... This would have been an offensive story. It would have made them angry. And that's because to a Jew, the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. Let me explain why. Um, the, The kingdom of Israel at one point got divided. The northern ten tribes kind of were their own kingdom, and then the southern kingdom became their own. And at one point, the northern ten tribes got overthrown by the Assyrian army, and most of the Jews were driven out of the promised land. But some of the Jews decided they weren't going to move out. They weren't going to leave the land. And instead, they began to build relationships with the Assyrian squatters. They intermarried. They had children. And those children came to be known as the Samaritans. And so here on this map, you get 
Judea, where Jerusalem is, is at the bottom of the map next to the Dead Sea. Samaria is that red section on the left. That big blue thing is the Mediterranean Sea. And above that is Galilee, where Jesus did most of his public ministry. And Samaria was an area that Jews avoided going at all costs. They would go days out of their way just to avoid walking through Samaria. Now, why is that? Because to a Jew, Samaritans were half-breeds. Samaritans were, by their very nature, unworthy to be called sons and daughters of the living God because they were, by their very nature, traitors to Judaism. They did not stay faithful to Yahweh. Instead, they intermarried with the Assyrian squatters. And so Jews refused to worship with them. In fact, they even refused to allow a Samaritan to walk into the temple in Jerusalem and worship God there. And so the Samaritans, in response, said, okay, if you won't let us worship at your temple, we'll build our own temple. And they did. On Mount Gerizim, they built their own temple, but the Jews could not allow that to stand. And so, in fact, they went and they destroyed that temple. And they burned all the land around it. They raised it to the ground. Well, the Samaritans, in retaliation, right around the time when Jesus was born, some Samaritans snuck into the temple in Jerusalem, and they brought with them a bunch of dead people's bones, and they scattered them around the temple area, because to even touch a dead person's bones would make you ceremonially unclean. And so by scattering bones all through the temple, they made the entire temple ceremonially unclean. And that would be tantamount to somebody sneaking into our church on a Saturday night and spray-painting swastikas and curse words all over the walls. Can you see why that there was enmity? There was bad blood between Jews and Samaritans. They were like rival gangs who absolutely could not stand the other and would have been totally fine if the other was completely wiped off the map. And into that context, Jesus tells this story. A man is walking down the road. He gets beat up and left for dead. A priest walks by. I'm sure that this religious expert fully anticipated that the priest would be the hero of the story. He was not. He sees the man and he walks right by. A Levite, a, a caretaker of the temple, walks by. He sees the man. He keeps walking. But then a Samaritan walks by. And Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero of his story. Offensive. But I understand that in our context, we don't see the offensive nature of it. So I've taken some creative liberty, and I have tried to update this story in a way that it might make a little more sense in our context. And I just want to preface this with prepare to potentially be offended. Sorry. So a very conservative man is walking home or walking back to his car from his Trump rally with his MAGA hat on and he gets beat up, robbed and left for dead in a, in a dark alley. An off-duty police officer is happening by. He sees the man in the alley but he realizes, well, I, I don't have my sidearm with me. Um, I don't have any backup, and this is a really seedy part of town. Besides, it's my day off, and I don't want to deal with the paperwork, so he just keeps walking. Figures he'll call it in when he gets back to his car. 
A little bit later, a pastor walks by. He sees the man bleeding in the dark alley, but he promised his wife that he would come straight home after the rally. And besides, this is a really, really bad part of town. He doesn't, maybe, maybe the people that beat this guy up and robbed them are still there. He doesn't want to get hurt himself, so he just throws up a prayer in the guy's general direction and keeps walking. A little bit later, a very liberal, transgender BLM activist who happened to be counter-protesting outside of the Trump rally happens along and sees this man bleeding in the alley. He drops his protest signs, runs to this man, sees that he's still breathing. He starts tearing off strips of his shirt to bind up the broken, bleeding areas. And then he runs over and he gets... Uh, he, 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 he brings his little, um, you know, electric car over and he loads this guy in, never paying attention to the fact that he's going to bleed onto his cloth seats. He would never, ever consider having leather because that would kill an animal. So he puts him in his cloth seats in the interior of his car and he drives him to the hospital where he brings him to the emergency room. But the guy doesn't have any identification. So he says, hey, listen. Just take this man, care for his wounds, and if there is anything that his insurance doesn't cover for him, I'll pay for it out of pocket. In fact, let me give you my credit card right now. And I know that it's after hours, and I can't visit with him, I can't sit with him, so I tell you what, I'll come back tomorrow to check on him, and if there's any other financial needs, I will take care of it. So which of these individuals was a neighbor to the man who was hurting? Do you see, do you see the offensive nature of this story? Jesus was well aware of the fact that Samaritans were not popular to the crowd that he was talking to. If he had been sharing this same story in a Samaritan village, it would have looked different. It would have been Samaritans that walked by, and it would have been a Jew that had moved towards the hurting man. But because his audience was very religious Jews, he knew that there was a kind of cultural... Uh, landmine, and he intentionally steps on the landmine to make a point. So what exactly is Jesus' point of this parable? His point is that we do not have the right to arbitrarily draw boundaries around certain demographics of people and say, these are people I am responsible for, and these are people I am not responsible for. His point is that your neighbor is any image bearer of God, and that is every single person that has breath in their lungs, your neighbor is anybody you come across in need, regardless of whether they think like you, look like you, vote like you, act like you, display the same values as you, or even live near you. And if you want to be, if you want to fulfill the heart of God, which is what this guy's question is, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I reflect the heart of God that I might live a righteous life? Love the Lord your God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. There's two sides of the same coin. Well, I love God. Great. Well, then that should reflect in the way that you love your neighbor. In the same way that if you tell me that you love me, but you mistreat my kids, I'm sorry, I'm going to pay more attention to how you treat my kids than the words that you say. Your actions speak more loudly than your words do. And every single person that you come into contact with, whether they are wealthy or whether they're homeless, whether their skin tone matches your skin tone, whether 
they believe the same things you believe. Every single individual you come into contact with is an image bearer of God and he cares just as deeply for them as he does you. And if you want to reflect the heart of God, then you are called to love them as you love yourself. Because God's heart is that. I, I, I want to actually read a, a portion from Luke chapter 6. Can we throw it up on the screen here? This is what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend from those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be called children of God. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Why do we love people? Because God first loved us. Not because we deserved it. Not because we're good enough. Lord knows we're not. And yet he calls us to move towards people. Even when our culture says, nope, those are untouchables. Those are, even when things inside of us say have nothing to do with those people. When you see someone in need... Our God would call us to move towards that person in need and to use whatever it is that he's entrusted to you to care for those needs. Jesus' parable, he shares a story rather than simply declaring what the boundary is because it's not just about defining who your neighbor is, it's about showing how we ought to live. And what he does in his parable is he exposes the internal prejudices of this man and i would suggest to you that his parable can also begin to expose our internal prejudices and invite us to grapple with how now shall i live in light of the fact that i recognize this prejudice and i would love for you to take a moment and consider the prejudices perhaps that you are aware of in yourself and it might start with who who would be the last person, if you saw them bleeding on the side of the street, who would be the last person or kind of person you would want to move towards? What prejudices does this story expose for you? And I will go first. I'm not going to ask you to share, but I will share. Probably the most difficult people that I have a hard time being kind to are those who are not kind to others. Kindness is one of the most valuable character traits to me. And so when I run across somebody who's mean, and I run across somebody who just doesn't care about others, all they see is themselves, and I run across somebody who actually takes kind of a perverse joy in the pain of other people, you better believe I have a really hard time caring about them or returning kindness to them. And yet Jesus 
And this story would call me, if I saw that person hurting, he would call me to move towards that person and actually care about them, even if they don't care about me. And even if they don't care about my kids. And even if they don't care about other people, I don't get a pass when I see somebody that is hurting. And I would imagine for the, this Pharisee or for this religious expert, Jesus made really clear there is no boundary. There is no, these people are the in people and these people are the out people. And you only need to be responsible for the in people. Basically what Jesus was saying is there is nobody that is outside of the grace of God. Nobody whom he would say they are not worth moving towards and loving when they are in need. Every single person you encounter as you go along that is in need is your neighbor. And that doesn't mean that you have to address every single need that you encounter because Lord knows there's a lot of them. But this is where we need to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Because we come across people If you were to walk outside these doors, you would encounter people who are hurting in ways you can't possibly imagine. And Jesus does not simply call us to be aware of the fact that they matter to him. That's a step, but it's not the whole step. That's not the goal. The goal is to expose the walls that you might have erected in your heart towards them so that they can be decimated so that you have an ability to move towards hurting people whenever he opens your eyes to that. Whenever the Holy Spirit helps you become aware of those hurting people. That you would move towards them with compassion, not because you love them, but because you love their Father in heaven. Not because they're deserving, but because you were undeserving of grace. And yet he lavished it upon you anyway. And if you don't believe me, just look at that cross behind me and remind yourself what grace really looks like and what unearned love really looks like. You didn't earn Jesus dying on the cross for you, but he did it because he loved you anyway. And every person you encounter, he, he loves them just as much as he loves you, and he died for them just as readily as he died for you, regardless of whether or not they accept that and embrace that. It reminds me of something we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the, the greatest, like the Great Commission, right? In the Great Commission, we are called to, as you go along, make disciples. It's not go somewhere so you can make disciples. It's as you go, make disciples. And I would suggest the same thing here. Your neighbors are not simply the people that live within proximity to you. Your neighbors are the ones that you encounter that are in need as you go along. And now, you might ask the question, well, okay, Eric, so if I'm driving along the street and I see somebody broken down on the side of the road, is it always my responsibility to stop? And I would say, not necessarily. And this is where we really require the Holy Spirit in us to give us discernment. Because there are needy people everywhere. In Jesus' day, there were hurting people everywhere, and Jesus didn't go and minister to every single one of them. 
But he went out of his way for a few, like the Samaritan woman, when he intentionally walked into Samaria and went to that well and interacted with her and through sharing with her, the entire village's spiritual outlook was changed. This is where we require the Holy Spirit in us to kind of prompt us and say that one. And when the Holy Spirit prompts us, when you recognize a need and the Holy Spirit kind of gives you a check in your spirit, this is when you guys need to slow down long enough to say, okay, God, what is it that you would have me do? And and given how quickly we go through life, it might require you to actually go and turn your car around and it might take you five minutes to make it your way back. Next week, we're going to talk about cultivating a posture of interruptibility. It is incredibly important. But there's one other thing I I, I want to acknowledge, and that's this. God does love you, and God has lavished blessing upon you, but he has not blessed you solely so that you can live a comfortable life. That That is more the American culture that we live in screaming at you that you deserve to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. We're all created equal. And all of us are are, are, are allowed to pursue, you know, the pursuit of happiness is like such a, a central component of our American culture. And we tend to think of happiness in our culture as comfort. And we have made an idol out of our comfort. And so then we approach God and say, God, if I'm really faithful to you, you're going to make me comfortable. You're going to help pay off my house early and you're going to make sure that my cars never break down and you're going to make sure that my kids go to really good schools and it's going to be paid for because they're really good at sports so i better get them into sports really early right and by the time they get to college they hate those sports because so much of your affection towards them was determined on whether or not they did well in them the truth of the matter is we have been blessed whether we choose to acknowledge that fact or not And I know it might not seem like you're blessed. Because if you're on social media, you're seeing other people sprouting their blessings all over their pages. And you begin to compare. And comparison is the thief of joy. It steals your ability to appreciate just how generous our Father God has been. But we are all blessed. If you have food in your refrigerator, more food than you are going to be able to consume today, And if you have gas in your gas tank, boy, is that ever a sign of blessing. And if you have a roof over your head and you have a closet full of clothes, more clothes than you can wear in any given week, then you are not only blessed, you are in the top 1% to 2% of the entire world in terms of wealth and blessing. You are blessed. But as we are reminded... It is not enough simply to acknowledge that everybody we come into contact with is potentially our neighbor. God has blessed us. And he invites us to use that blessing to bless others. That it would be one of the resources we use to care for the needs of others. And your resources can look like different things. It might look like your stuff. But it might also look like your time. Slowing down long enough to care for the needs of another human being. It might look like taking some of your talent and saying, hey, I may not have a lot to give you, but what I do have is I can help you with that particular need. I know how to fix a bike. 
And I know that you haven't been able to use your bike because it's broken. Let me come alongside of you and help. And, and, and as I think about this, the, the blessed to be a blessing, it might be very easy for us to think that the only people that are in need are people who have less than we do. And so you might say, well, well, then my neighbors are very few because on the hierarchy of people here in Orange County, you know, I'm like here in terms of wealth. And so only people below me need help. And I'm telling you that that is absolutely positively not true. Because possessions are not the greatest mark of blessing. In this culture and in this time, I would say that our stuff is actually more of an idol than anything. It does not replace relationships. And if there's one thing that people out there are starved for right now, it is relationship. Never before in my lifetime have I seen such an epidemic of loneliness. It seems like every person we know is walking through the disillusion of relationships. Divorce is rampant. Isolation is rampant. Some of you at home haven't interacted with people in weeks. And if you were to be in trouble at 3 a.m., the only person you would know to call is 911 because you can't think of anybody else that you could call that would actually show up to care for you. This is a problem. It is an epidemic problem in our culture. What people need more than our things is our time, is our attention, is relationships. And that's something that you have to offer regardless of how much you have in your bank account and regardless of whether you're renting or owning. If you have relationships, you are rich in this economy and in this particular culture. And what I hear Jesus saying, and this is perhaps more for me than for any of you, but maybe this will speak to you as well. What Jesus is saying to me is stop comparing yourself to other people who might have more possessions. Because when it comes to community, boy, are you rich. And rather than hoarding that and just, yeah, God loves me, be generous with that. Invite, move towards hurting people. And they may have a whole lot. They may look really good from the outside. But there are hurting people all over. And it requires us to slow down long enough to acknowledge their need and be willing to live an interruptible life. Again, we are going to address that next week because it is so difficult for us sometimes to slow down. But the invitation this morning, I'm going to invite Caitlin to come back up. The invitation for us this morning is this. Take this parable to heart. You do not just have eight to ten people in your life that God is saying, Lean in and care for them. As you go along, if you see hurting people, they are your neighbor. You don't get to pick and choose who they are. And sometimes it's the people that you want to have the least interaction with that God invites you. The Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, that one, move towards them. Guys, this is where it requires discernment. This is where... 
simply looking for the right verse that tells you what to do is insufficient. The Bible at the end of the day, the word of God points us to the true word of God, Jesus Christ. This is why God gives us the Holy Spirit to reside within us so that we're not dependent simply upon a scripture to tell you how you should respond, but upon the Holy Spirit saying, in this instance, give them money. And in another instance, don't give them money. Just sit down and talk with them or go in and buy them some food because otherwise they may have whatever. In this instance, stop, pull over and see if they need help. In this instance, keep driving. This is where we require the Holy Spirit in our life. And I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit help me to have greater discernment. That he would not only give me the eyes to see the hurting people around me, but he would give me a heart that is willing to slow down long enough to move towards hurting people. And if you, like me, would like to kind of say, here I am, God, invite me to have your eyes so that I can see your kids the way you see them. And that I might have discernment to know how you're inviting me to join you in the redemptive work that you're doing. Would you just stand up for a moment? Because I would love to pray over us who are saying, here I am. I am available to join you in this redemptive work of loving my neighbor as I love myself. Let's pray. And you know, you, maybe if you want, because sometimes our, our hearts follow the posture of our bodies. If you want, put your hands out as if you're almost holding your life before God. Consider your t all of the, the, the blessings God has lavished upon you, your stuff, your time, the talents that he has allowed you the opportunity to learn. Consider holding them out as an offering to God. And now I just say, Father God, we thank you for how much you have blessed us. We are blessed beyond we measure. Thank you. We submit ourselves to you and we ask that you would invite us to join you in the redemptive work of advancing your kingdom into hurting people's lives. We know there's hurting people all around us. We know we drive past them, we walk past them, we rub shoulders with them, we talk to them about inane things like who won the game and, how, and, and things like that. When inside they are broken and they're hurting. Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us to begin to see other people as you see them. Begin to break our hearts for the things that break your hearts and then begin we give you permission to use whatever it is you've entrusted to us, our time, our talents, our treasures, our stuff, our relationships. We invite you to show us how to invest those things so that they would produce eternal returns, not simply the accumulation stuff that we hoard in our home. We want to be about your business because you are our Father and you have shown us through the cross and through the many, many ways, the ways that you bless us, the ways you love us, even when we're pretty stinking unlovable. We invite you to show us how to be a reflection of your heart into our hurting neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our schools, 
May we live as your sons and daughters. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. And for your name's sake, we do these things. Amen. Let's worship together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay in my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. In all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest nights, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God in all my life. In all my life, you have been faithful. In all my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. In all my life, you have been faithful. In all my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now, give you everything. Your goodness is running after. In all my life, you have been faithful. In all my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God.
As we were singing, I was thinking about how the Lord isn't just worthy of the songs we sing or the times that we come to church, but he's worthy of the things that 
might make us uncomfortable, like with what Eric was saying. He's worthy of us treating his kids the way that they should be treated and stepping out of our, our rhythm, out of our comfort zone to be his hands and feet. That to him is also worship. So when we sing worthy is the lamb, we're not just saying worthy are you to be sung to in a room, but worthy are you to be um, sought after in the uncomfortable. So let's sing worthy again. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Amen. Oh, worthy. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb.
draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore oh, bless the lord bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul I worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. I will worship Your holy name. Sing bless the Lord one more time. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. I worship your holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I worship your holy name. Hey, um, actually, can I have Grayson, Ethan, Cooper, Justin, uh, G- come on, come on up here, guys. Matthew, Samuel, get up here for a second. Come on. I don't care if you're good. I'm not good. I need your help. Get up here. Come on. All of you. Yeah, bring the dog. Bring the dog. No, you can bring the dog. I don't care. Come here for a second. Get up here, guys. Who am I missing? Who else is out there? If you're in junior high right now, get up here. All right? Put put the ball away, boy. Get up here. Hey, guys. um, Sometimes words don't really carry as much meaning, so I just wanted you to see for a moment. This is my son. I love him. I'm really pleased with him. This is my son whom I love, and I'm really pleased with him. And although these guys aren't blood-related, this is my son, and this is my... These are guys that God has entrusted to myself and to you. And we talked about this last week. I love them. And when you look up here, these these are young men that God has entrusted to our care as a community to invest in. And I hope that you love them. Even when they bring a ball on stage and want to bounce it instead of just being present. Even when they say no, come up on stage. No. Or they they slip out the back for the fourth time to go grab another donut even after their parents said no. I'm watching. I can see everything from up here. Even when they are disruptive, I love them. And the way that you show me love is by loving on these guys. Now, Why did I ask them to come up here? Because I love tormenting them. (laughs) Now, actually, the reason I asked them to come up here is because you look at them, I would imagine it's not that hard to love them because you know I care for them and their moms care for them and their fathers care for them. The reason I brought them up here is because there are people you're going to rub shoulders with that don't necessarily look like them, but to your father in heaven, he loves them just as much as I love these guys. 
And just as much as Ethan and Grayson bear my image and have my heart, every single person you are going to come into contact with today bears his image, whether they know it or not, and whether they're living like that is truth or not. May you care for them with the same heart that you would care for one of these guys. In the midst of their messiness, often it's the most hurting people that need love the most. And they're probably pretty stinking offensive because they're pretty stinking hurting. May you be, may you have the ability to see the men and women that you come into contact with in person or even on social media with the eyes that your Father in heaven sees them with. Don't see them as enemies. See them as your neighbors. And treat them the way that your Father has treated you. Not because they deserve it. Not because you love them, but because you love him. And he loves them. So Lighthouse Community Church, I love you, and I'm unbelievably grateful to be on this adventure with you. I would ask you, if you do not already have one of these sphere of influence cards, to grab one on your way out. And if you have not yet filled it out, you just threw it in the back of your car, go find it, or take another one, and begin to prayerfully consider who is it that God has placed in your sphere of influence. A lot of these guys are in my sphere of influence. And Pastor Jeff, all of these guys are in his sphere of influence. Who is it that God has placed in your sphere of influence, and how are you intentionally praying for them on a daily basis? How are you intentionally coming alongside of them? And how could God invite you to be a more intentional neighbor? If you want to find out more and you want to be surrounded with others that might spur you on to be a much more intentional neighbor, please come back and join me tomorrow night at 6.30 across the street as we gather to kind of brainstorm how we can do a better job of representing the heart of our Father into this community. But I'm really grateful to be on this adventure. Now go love God's kids well. Go be the church. Have a wonderful week. Thanks, guys.